Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Good morning, Kieran. It's 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 Sunday morning, it's bright and sunny, unfortunately. It's it's questions day. We're recording our questions pod for tomorrow. But there are a couple of news stories that we will need to get through Kieran Frank Lampard for example uh, women's pay in the FA Cup but more importantly Kieran it's an issue that you and I need to we need to discuss otherwise it will hang over us for the whole of the week um, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not angry Kieran I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed just tell tell our listeners our lovely listeners what it is you cooked for your dinner last night I cooked Guinness and cheddar soup, which which comes with, and I know it's sacrilege for you in terms of the Guinness side of things, Kevin. But I'd I'd suggest try it first, and then and then come back and be continually disappointed. This is possibly the best soup I've ever tasted. It's got a, it's you start off with some leek, onion, carrot, red pepper, and you sauté those. You add the Guinness to smooth everything out. Add some chicken stock, and it's absolutely and, and it's looking great. And then finally, just before serving, you mix in around about hundred grams of fresh cheddar, and it is amazing. First of all, Kieran, can you call it cheese and Guinness soup? Cheese and Guinness soup. I, I could just about live with the name Guinness and cheese soup. Is not but in all my life, I, I, I've never sat in the Porson's arms. Looking at my first pint of Guinness of the morning, of the afternoon, <laughs> of, <laughs> of the morning. <laughs> I've never sat on a match day in the, in the Porson's arms, looking at my pint of Guinness, thinking, "Do you know what that needs? Parmesan." <laughs> it's, just, it's just right. I just, I just worry what Uncle Terry would say. Really, I mean, Uncle Terry's got, a man who's got enough on his plate anyway, <laughs> without learning that his beloved nephew, the man who used to. Do the numbers for him and his rackets. It's reduced to Guinness and cheese. So, okay, well, we do have a couple of stories we should mention uh, before we get into our questions. And the first one is Everton announced uh, the appointment of Frank Lampard yesterday. And, and I was going to ask you how much you think that may have cost them, but inevitably, the way Everton have been working lately, how much is it going to cost when they sack him in eighteen months' time? Which seems to be the way the pattern. Well, yes. I mean, certainly from talking to uh, some of our friendly lawyers, uh, they, they make sure that their clients are always very well protected. 
and uh, the, the cost of getting rid of managers is uh, is pretty prohibitive these days. If you take a look at what's happened at Chelsea since Roman Abramovich uh, first acquired the club in 2003, I think they're up to around about £90 million in, in total uh, wow. payoff costs. Um, so it, it is something which has to be borne in mind. Um, and also, as, as we were discussing a couple of weeks ago, those costs are not exempt from financial fair play. So for a club such as Everton, which has been living uh, pretty much at the edge, uh, you know, they've had, to, they've had to sell players, they've had to get players off the wage bill uh, in, in all ways that they can uh, in, in order to enable themselves to, to go back into the market to, to recruit, you know, first of all, players on the pitch, but also a new manager. And uh, it, it is a small story, Kieran, in this next one, but it's it's... In a way, it's almost the start of hopefully something bigger. And I'm not saying we should take credit for this, Kieran, but just a couple of weeks ago, we were speaking to uh, Sophie, the goalkeeper from Clapton Community FC, uh, about the iniquities of the way the FA Cup money is distributed between the women's game and the men's game to the extent that it costs Clapton uh, a lot of money. It costs them a lot of money to play in the third round of the FA Cup at Plymouth. And now, uh, yesterday the FA announced that they are launching an investigation into those pay disparities. And it's about time too, isn't it? Yes. Um, you know, some people will say, and, and, and there's been quite a lot of debate about this on social media, um, but you know, the, the the critics, the, the frankly, the, okay, I'll, I'll rename them, the dinosaurs saying, yeah. well, tough. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 there's, there's some pretty misogynist attitudes towards women's football, which is, which is, ridiculous um they say who cares well well football fans care and, yeah. and football players um if you take a look at the uh the attendances you know for, for the final of the women's fa cup the, the final was well, well very well attended um and uh certainly some of the the qualifying matches are also getting decent attendance as well because it, it's a sport which is worth watching and it's it's a choice, yeah. You know, I I always say to people when people say, "Well, you know, you're trying to ram it down our throats." No, we're not. We're, we're trying to give a good sport, a growing sport, a, a, a sport which has uh, really positive uh, implications for health, for education, um, for social gathering, and so on. Uh, we're just trying to give it a, a better uh, a better opportunity to grow. And the the lack of financial support from the FA, I, I think, has been poor. But what we've also seen is that with the new TV deals that are coming through, with the new sponsorship deals that are coming through, that it's it's not just um, you know, progressive liberal blokes like you and I who, who think that women's football has, has a really positive future. Um, and, and it is over time that, uh, that the FA uh, should have really got its act together and, and given clubs the opportunity to at least break even when they're attending matches. Yeah. Plus, also, you're talking half the population of the of the, of the planet here, Kieran. Yeah. And also, as I keep saying to those same dinosaurs, none of the women we speak to are demanding equal pay with the men's game. What they're demanding is that a club like Clapton shouldn't be four thousand pound out of pocket because the money they get for getting into the third round of the FA Cup is about sixteen hundred quid, and it costs them five and a half thousand quid to transport their squad down to Plymouth and stay overnight. That's all. When when the men's game, you get £86,000 for being in the third round of the FA Cup. It's somewhere in between £1,600 and £86,000 is the correct amount of money, basically. So it's it's good that the FA have finally at least acknowledged that they need to do something about how long that will take them because we know that sometimes 
pace of change at the FA is geologically slow. We don't know, but we'll keep across that as much as we can. So questions, Kieran. And the first question I hinted about uh, on our last pod, because we've spoken a lot about the European Super League, but this question comes from Akudinobi Kazarachi. Uh, I hope I've pronounced that right. And Akudinobi's question is, there's an African Super League on the way, which is backed by FIFA and apparently CAF as well, uh, which is the African FA, essentially. While some journalists have stood against this, nobody's really sure what the financial aspect of this will be for the teams not in the Super League, but everyone agrees it will be bad. And also, what do FIFA gain from this, given their stance on the European Super League? Um well, there's a lot of politics in football, as we know. Um, CAF is is effectively a subsidiary of FIFA, um, and I think it's uh, FIFA have backed this. Although uh, Infantino first announced the uh, the potential Super League, I think it was way back in 2019. Um, but uh, CAF, which is the, the as you say the African Federation, it, uh, it it has been very vocal in support of a FIFA World Cup taking place every two years. So, yeah. you know, there's there's a bit of, uh, you know, there's a bit of mutual back-scratching taking yeah. place here. Um, as far as this Super League is concerned, uh, it looks as if it's going to involve 24 clubs, 20 of which will be by invite, and four will be on some form of merit basis, which that's got big parallels, as we know, with the the Super League, I, yeah. it's not it's not how good you are; it's how big is your social following, how uh, you know how close are you to the people making the decisions, and so on. So that's that's a first for uh, that's a first cause for concern. Um, I, I think for me that the, the challenge will be is who's going to watch it? Is it going to be financially independent? Why does Africa lose so many players to the European game? The reason simply is that it doesn't get enough people attending the game in terms of match day revenue. So yeah. even if you're getting big crowds, the the ticket prices tend to be quite low. So there, there's not a lot of money going in. The TV revenues are close to zero um, because uh, many African football fans prefer to watch the Champions League and the Premier League and the Liga. And that's not a criticism of them. It's you know we we all know that uh, the that the Premier League and the Champions League are uh, global sports and and they're very glamorous and so on. Um, when CAF did sell their uh, TV rights in 2017, and there was a big fanfare about this at the time, they, they sold their, their their rights to a company called Lagardère, which I believe is French, um, for for a reported. $1 billion. And people go, wow, that's absolutely incredible. This is great because this will allow African clubs to, to be able to offer some, some decent wages to their players and perhaps to uh, reduce the number of players who, who who take the view that the only way they can make a living out of football is is to to seek their seek their employment elsewhere. Um, but um, you know, if, if something looks too good to be true, uh, it's probably not true. And the, the these this TV rights deal collapsed uh, very very quickly. The money didn't go across. So um, I, I think there is there is a challenge if you're going to have a super league. Where's the money going to come from to fund it? Um, why is FIFA 
behind it, well, it, it's it's a, it's a Trojan horse. It, it's a way of, uh, if this does prove to be successful, could FIFA therefore get into bed with uh, the next European Super League proposers and say, look, yeah. we, we were involved with it in Africa. We will sanction it in Europe as well. So there's a lot of politics uh, involved, and, and that's the rationale behind it. As far as other clubs are concerned, because there is a there is an African Champions League at present, it would it would completely destroy sort of many of the domestic leagues. Yeah. Um, nobody's decided. You know, Af- Africa is is a very big continent. There's many many countries there. You've got 24 clubs now. Some of those, I mean, you know, a bit like the Super League, it was only the Super League was only split between was it three countries? Yeah. Um, well, what happens if there's only half a dozen countries that, that are allowed to to play in the African Super League? It's not done on a merit basis. Um, and, and what you will find very very quickly is that players from other African countries will leave their domestic leagues to go and play in the Super League clubs because they're offering more wages. So there'll be a talent train, um, and it would, I think it would have a hugely negative consequences for um, those those other countries in Africa who, who don't participate. You've answered my question, Kieran, which is a yet more proof that we've been together too long. Because <laughs> uh, Akadinobi is quite right to worry, because you know, we've seen Gambia, for example, get to the quarterfinal of uh, AFCON, uh, one of the smallest countries in it, their first time in it, they they did very well. But you can't imagine a Gambian team would be invited to be in the African Super League. You'd guess it would be, like you say, the big hitters, Cameroon, Nigeria, Morocco, Egypt. But I suppose some people would say, well, it's better that there's a talent drain within Africa than African players all heading for for Europe. I mean, I, I don't agree, but some people might think that's an improvement. They they, they might do. Um my my response would be i don't think it's going to make money because right. where where is the audience going to be um there there will be some interest that even if even if it uh, is is more lucrative than, than what we presently see um compared to what you can pick up from certainly from one of the big 5 leagues in europe and, and indeed many of the you know the likes of portugal the netherlands belgium and so on african players can earn more money playing in those leagues that's certainly that they can from their domestic leagues if if we just have this super league which is 24 clubs um you won't you you will find lots of dead rubbers uh you know once once it once it starts because you, you've got all these teams in it how are if you are a moroccan team and you're playing an opposition from south africa and you're 14th in the super league who's going to go and watch it so yeah. it's it's the same old problem as before i'd be interested to, to see what the viewing figures here are for for afcon so the bbc had a game yesterday because i suspect a lot of english football fans only watch the games in which their players are involved. So I'll watch the Ivory Coast, obviously, unless Wilf's not picked, in which case I probably won't watch the game. So I suspect that's a pattern repeated across the country. But I would be very interested to see what the numbers are because there have been some cracking games. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, from a, a macro story to a, a slightly smaller one, it comes from Dan Wright. Hello, Dan. Dan says, Bristol Rovers rightly got a lot of grief for their job advert for an unpaid internship for a data analyst. How common are these unpaid internships in football? Which is an interesting question, Kieran, because for the first 18 months of this pod, you and I were essentially unpaid interns. (laughs) Yes. um, 
it's 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 complex one this because if you want to get a job in the football industry one of the things they're looking for is experience so how do you get experience well sometimes you've you've got to work for nothing and and it's not just the football industry i mean you, no, you no, work in, yeah. in the media industry and so you know we're both aware of um you know, newspapers and other media organisations offering internships, which are unpaid, and and the downside of that is that it reduces the talent pool. You know, yeah. if if you if you're if you're coming from a a middle class or a rich family, and and you've got parents who can help to finance you you working there for a period of time, that's great. If you're coming from a working class background and you are, you know, every penny counts. You've got to potentially take a job which pays. So that's that's the downside. Um, there there was um, there, there was an investigation here into this by um, Sporting Intelligence. Now it's a few out it's a few years old. This, but they found three hundred and nineteen unpaid posts in the football industry. Now this this is a report from twenty thirteen. Um, I'm hoping things have improved since then, but I suspect that's not been the case. Um, you know, I, I work in education now. We, you know, as you know, I, I, I'm involved in in football finance education, and we have students come in, and we will try to get them, you know, short term short term work placements, which could be, you know, if it's if it's four to six weeks, and it's a project, then sometimes the clubs will pay, sometimes the clubs won't pay. My view is that it's you know it's part of the course, yeah. and it, it, it's it's complementing what the what the students are learning in theory from, from giving them some practical experience to demonstrate their skills. That goes on to their CV that assists them. So if, it, if it's on a short term basis, I think it is justifiable to a degree. It would be great if the clubs paid, um, and to be fair, yeah, many of the Premier League clubs do pay. I think as you drop down the divisions where every penny really does count yeah. and, and you know, I'm not saying the clubs are doing these the students a favor because there there are mutual benefits but you can see how if a club's losing money to go to the go to the chairman and say we want to go and pay this person who we've never met before what do you think about it you know the the the, the, the owner of the club the chair or whoever it's going to be is is perhaps going to be not enthusiastic However, if it is a six to twelve month placement, as we do see occasionally, and that is unpaid, in my view, completely unacceptable. That is that is working for nothing. You know, that that's a job as opposed to a little bit of work experience. So I think I think we've got to distinguish the two, but but it does happen quite often. <clears throat> we've had this discussion before, Kieran. There are too many TV production companies who still bring runners in for nothing. One or two. Zepatron, for example, should be named and praised because they refuse to do it because they understand that it does uh, prevent people from outside the middle classes and the upper classes who can afford to do it from getting a foothold in TV. Essentially, it's exploitation, Kieran. And for every – the argument is always, well, you know, that that runner who's bringing you your coffee could end up as a TV producer one day. They, They could, but the chances are they won't. So in the meantime, those young people are working very hard for for no money, very long, and it's 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 not right, and it's you know it it shouldn't be allowed to happen in football because there's no excuse for not even paying expenses or travel yeah. or, or oh, whatever. Yeah. And too many yeah. of them, too many internships. When they say unpaid, they mean actually unpaid. It they mean mm. it, it actually costs the kid money 
to do to do that job. It's not not just unpaid; they're out of pocket, and that's wrong. Now, our next question, Kieran. Um, I'm also re- I'm almost reluctant to ask because it comes from unnamed listener. In in general, <laughs> my policy is not to ask questions from unnamed listener because I suspect it's guy, it's producer guy, <laughs> slipping his own questions in. Uh, to, to pad out a pod that doesn't need padding out. Um, and I've got another reason for suspecting this might be producer guy, because the question is, how deep in the shit are Barcelona? <laughs> but unnamed listener is not only circumspect about his, his or her own name, he actually hasn't been able to bring himself to spell out the word shit. So he's spelt it with an ampersand and an exclamation mark in the middle, which, again, is a producer guys of a delicate disposition, uh, especially when it comes to talking about money. But uh, <coughs> he's quite a sensitive flower, which, again, is the reason why. But the question is, Kieran, how deep in the uh, S ampersand exclamation mark T are Barcelona? Is there debt pile of danger to the club? And what would be the consequences of them failing to make the Champions League? Um, well, in, in terms of debt, uh, and, and you know, I think we've we've had this discussion before. Debt, in its own right, is not a problem. It's it's financing the debt and it's cash flow in relation to debt that's critical. So, if we take a look at Spurs, you know, Spurs have huge debts uh, as a result of the new stadium project, but they have rescheduled um, their their effective mortgage on that to 2051, and until then, they've got an interest only. Uh, deal on on part of that debt. So so their cash flow has been very very carefully planned, uh, very professionally organised. They've got low interest rates. So you know I think that's that's an example of where debt uh, can can be beneficial. The extra revenue generated from borrowing um, as a result of the increased capacity and, and the multi use stadium far exceeds the the annual costs. Um, in relation to, to Barcelona, I, I dug out their their accounts and um, I think that their their accounts is about 160 pages of which the first 150 pages are glossy pictures of Barcelona players cheering <laughs> and smiling and so on and then the last 10 pages is is the uh, is, is the detail in terms of the numbers um, Barcelona have borrowed 256 million euro over the course of the last two years effectively to fund the wages and the other operating costs of the club. So that's that's a big red flag. Um, you know, I always you know, people ask me about borrowing. I always say you borrow long term for long term projects. You borrow short term for short term projects um, where you're going to get the money back. Now, you know, p- paying out wages does, doesn't necessarily get you, get doesn't get you very much back. So so that is a cause for concern. Their total liabilities are over 1.5 billion euro. But what Barcelona have managed to do is that they've they've managed to go to some of their banks and, and their lenders and providers and reschedule that debt. So they kicked the can down the road. I think there was a there was a genuine concern that there were some repayment dates arising in the in, in the in the near future, which would have caused significant problems. So if you reschedule your debts, that alleviates the problem. Um, Barcelona still want to develop. The stadium they they want to uh, improve and expand the new camp and, and that could end up adding a, a further billion euro but if that's long term and it's interest only and it generates more money from match day from hospitality from the museum and so on then then it can it can work so they they've been through uh, a, a tough twelve months but they're still here that's the important thing um, and uh, I think it would be a it would be a very 
brave bank manager to call in some of those loans. Although the, the, if, if you're borrowing from uh, investment banks, as, as we've seen uh, with, with some of the clubs in Italy, you know, the, the investment banks have got uh, zero social conscience um, and, and they'll, they'll take you out of the knees. If, uh, God forbid, anything was to happen and Barcelona were taken down, would they be taking down other Spanish clubs with them? Um, yes, they would because they are one of the biggest draws in in Spanish football. So there would implications for the TV deal, and also if, if you take a look at their debts, they owe substantial amounts of money on on transfer fees. So you know it 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 can you know it, it is a house of cards football uh, in in terms of there's an awful lot of money sloshing around within the industry with uh, one or more clubs uh, owing the other. And, and going back to, to the second part of Unnamed's question, uh, in, in respect of the uh, non-participation in the Champions League, Champions League is is worth, you know, if, if you get through to the final stages, you're looking somewhere in the, in the region of um, you know, 100 million euro. In, in 2019, remember when Liverpool and Spurs played in the, in the final, yeah. Barcelona actually earned more prize money than both Liverpool and Spurs due to the uh, somewhat complex way that UEFA allocate money. Um, so, you know, they, they, they've got a very high uh, coefficient. Uh, what happens is, is that UEFA take into consideration your performance in the last five to ten years uh, when, when putting money into various pots. Uh, some of the other uh, Spanish clubs have got knocked out earlier, which assists Barcelona. So, so it's... You know, 100 million euro potentially from TV money. Uh, you know, Spanish fans are now returning to watch matches uh, at, uh, at the stadium itself. So you're probably talking, you know, 5 million euro per match from that. Uh, sponsors are happy. They'll pay bonuses. So, yes, it, it, is, it is important, but I think they could probably survive one year without. So, as in football... So, as in life, so the rich clubs get money for doing badly and for doing well. Yes, it doesn't seem quite right somehow, does it? <laughs> yes, um, I mean, next... it, 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 yeah, it's, it's a form of it's a form of parachute payment that UEFA have, but they don't want to call it a parachute payment. All right. Okay. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by Packed Coffee. Big coffee is bad coffee, full of underpaid farmers and low-quality over-roasted beans, all of which just leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Pact is changing the coffee industry from the grounds up. From paying a price that's more than fair to knowing farmers on a first-name basis, Pact builds long-term relationships that flourish, putting the needs of their partners first and providing coffee that's personal to their customers. With Pact, you'll get award-winning speciality coffee, freshly roasted to perfection for your order, and ground just moments before it's shipped. There's over 15 different coffees on the menu at any given time to choose from, including Great Taste 2020 and 2021 winners. So make a pact to make better coffee now. Price of Football listeners can get a free brewing kit with their first order. So go to pactcoffee.com. That's P-A-C-T coffee.com and enter the code P-O-F at the checkout when you sign up for a packed coffee plan to create your flexible coffee subscription and get that free brewing kit. Make a pact to make better coffee. Better for the farmer, better for the consumer, better for the planet.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question is from David Kane. And David says, much is reported on Chelsea's player hoarding with half the population of West London, it seems, being sent on loan. With their transfer activity being largely credited with their academy player sales, what are the operating costs of the academy to deliver such profits? And how does that compare with other Premier League clubs? So Pep Guardiola recently credited Jack Grealish's transfer to similar sales, quoting a net £40 million. But despite the fanfare of the city campus, their academy doesn't seem to get as much acclaim. Or is their approach just not as obvious as Chelsea's? Um, yeah, uh, academies and, and player farming, you know, young young men player, player farming, it is, uh, it is a big issue. You know, we've discussed EPPP before, the Elite Player Performance Plan. Um, Chelsea are, are very good at it. Um, in terms of the costs of running a Category 1, academy um from the spe- people i've spoken to they reckon the minimum cost is is five million a year but for clubs such as um chelsea and manchester city it's it's going to be two three times that at least i mean manchester city for example um have uh they 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 have educational opportunities for their academy players, and that they 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 get sent to a very good school. Um, so we we are talking large sums. Of, yeah, we're certainly talking uh, a minimum, I would say, of ten million for Chelsea and Manchester City. Having said that, over the past five seasons, Chelsea have generated five hundred and twenty-six million pounds from player sales. And Manchester City have generated 308. Now, some of those will be players who they've bought and sold. So you've got Eden Hazard, you've got Leroy Sane. But if you take a look at Chelsea in particular, Tamori, uh, Tammy Abraham, and what we're seeing with, with Manchester City is that they, they, they're picking up quite a few um, loan signings. Um, so they're getting loan fees from players previously at their academy. And on top of that, they're, get, they're, they're getting sales especially to Europe, for, for fees that go under the radar. So, you know, if, if you sell somebody for three to four million pounds, it never gets discussed these days. 
Well, as it happens, Kieran, we have uh, a fairly big story about academies coming up on our news pod on Thursday. And I'm proud to say it's about my club, Crystal Palace. It's about aftercare for youngsters who don't quite make the grade. Hopefully, we might be able to get somebody from the club on to talk us through that. But in the meantime, we've got a question about transfers for the big grown-up players. Uh, and it's about a phrase that we use all the time, Kieran, now, without really probably thinking through. It's The question comes from Glenn Entwistle which is a, a great name. Glenn must have been a bass player in a, a folk band sometime in the 70s. Um, <laughs> but Glenn's question is, when a player is sold, and there are all sorts of add-ons in the deal, and it seems these days no one is just bought or sold. That, that sounds harsh when you put it that way, isn't it? No one's mm. just bought and sold. Um, there are always add-ons. But Glenn's question is, how are these add-ons managed logistically? Is it down to the selling club to keep tabs on things like goals and appearances, and then they invoice the buying club? Or is there an automated way that this happens? Automated? Automated way. Surely if it's down to clubs remembering, these sorts of things could be lost or forgotten when a club is sold or bought or if someone messes up the filing system. Now, that might have happened when I was playing Sunday League football, Kieran. But I can't imagine that Premier League clubs have got a filing system for this sort of thing, have they? Um, I, I think it's slightly more sophisticated than that. First of all, the contract has to be lodged with the uh, with the Premier League, with the EFL, with the... With the uh, with the Football Association. So so there will be a record kept by third parties. Um, ultimately, it would be the responsibility of the, of the selling club. Normally, the club secretary would have a list of all outstanding potential payments. So the club secretary, potentially the, the uh, finance director as well, would be monitoring these as they get closer and closer to, to payment time. And when the contingency is struck, now that could be appearances, it could be international, could be chosen for international caps, it could be winning trophies, avoiding relegation, um, then then an automatic invoice would 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 arise on the back of that. So um, yeah, it, it's like all things, you know, you know, if you and I do some freelance work for somebody, um, it, it's up to us to check that they pay us and, and you know, ra- rather than the buyer to, to automatically make the payment. Yeah, it's, it's nice to hear Finley telling the neighbours that he's had a wonky job. And he's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> that literally sounded like a dog going, no, it's fine, he gave it quite easily. I only had to whimper for three seconds. <laughs> I'll try and do it during the pod. I know that the other bloke on the pod doesn't, he gets all upset if I whimper. Um Martin Butterley, which is a great... And if Glenn Entwistle was the the bass player in that folk band, Martin Butterley was, without a doubt, the drummer. Um, but Martin Butterley said, I've noticed with some recent transfers, for example, Lukaku to Chelsea, that players have their medical overseas. Now, how does that work? Do they do them at other clubs' training grounds or the national team training ground or a hospital? If it's at other clubs, I'm sure it's easy for the City Football Group, for example, to use one of their own. But do most clubs use ones they have good relationships with? And, of course, are there fees involved? Well, yes, there certainly would be a fee involved um, if for anybody providing medical services. What will happen is that there is effectively there's an approved list uh, because a a football medical is is different to, you know, yeah. when you or I go to the doctor every three or four years and they say cough. And, and then and then we have a chat about we need to go and lose a bit of weight and uh, you know cut back on this that and the other. Um, so it, it it would be a specific medical um, which which involves a series of steps. There there will be um, there will be a you know, a lung capacity test. There will be you know, clearly they'll test the bloods and so on. But and it's and it's it's fairly standard as far as. Uh, football clubs are concerned. They'll also, uh, for, for players who have been injured historically, then it could involve x-rays 
to check uh, in, in relation to you know, if, are there any outstanding issues from those. Um, so it's everybody is their favorite doctor you know football in football industry is a very expensive one you don't want to uh, buy a player who who subsequently turns out to to have a uh, an existing injury uh, or or physical condition so it tends to be people that the the football clubs themselves trust and uh, football's a small industry and the the medics they they like is a small industry as well mm. it's always worrying when the doctor tells you to cut back on this that and the other <laughs> Finley, we said doctor, not vet. Fine, calm down. I was seeing the squirrel. I've, oh my lord! I've closed the door. Yeah, he'll probably open it to. to yeah, we. I, there was a slightly odd standoff in my garden the other day when Smudge, who's let's the cat, let's put it, she's she's currently she's a her winter weight. Basically, right. and what I can only describe is the world's plumpest squirrel. They are both staring. <laughs> they are both staring at each other with that that South London look. It's like I don't, I don't make me come down here. Um, but they're both looking at each other like you've put on weight, haven't you? Um, the, the medicals thing is interesting because I know talking to uh, players who who played their football in the eighties and nineties, Mark Bright, for example that the medicals in those days were much more, shall we say, rudimentary mm. than they are. Basically, in those days, if you could walk to the doctor's couch on your own two feet, you tended to pass the medical. But um, I've seen some of what's involved in, in Premier League player medicals now. They, they mm. are, ext- I mean, over two, over two days quite a lot of times as well. They're proper extensive medicals. And I imagine, of course, that is a lot to do with the insurance companies as well, isn't it? It, it is, but you know, from, from the club's point of view, if you're, uh, if you're investing 20, 20 million quid, Yes, fair point. Uh, in buying anything, you know, if, if we were buying a house for 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 what, for what we can afford, because let's face it, you know, we're not we're not producer guy. We're not in the the million pound bracket when it comes to uh, uh, property. But you know, we'd we'd want a, a survey uh, done to, to make sure that uh, as would as would the uh, building society or bank that was lending to us, or Uncle Terry, as the case may be. Oh, of course, indeed. Our next question comes from Gary Knowles. Uh, I doubt if Gary was in a folk band, but he possibly might have been the second keyboard player in a synth band from Essex in the <laughs> mid eighties. Uh, Gary Knowles says, "Who pays the club's travel expenses in European competitions?" Not only must some of these journeys be quite expensive, but if the club themselves have to pay the cost, can the man cities of the world who are funded or sponsored by an airline carrier save costs as the airline would lay on special flights for them, presumably, therefore benefiting or further on FFP regulations? That's an interesting point. Yes. Um, you know, clubs will almost certainly charter a, a, a private plane for these. Yeah, they, they, won't be, they won't be on the plane with, with regular punters. Um, and uh, we, we we do have quite a few clubs these days. Yeah, we've got Arsenal, City, uh, who are sponsored by by airlines. Then we see some of the other uh, Premier League clubs, such as Manchester United. I think they have their official uh, airline partner is is Aeroflot. Yeah. Um, and so so what what would normally happen is uh, you know first refusal would go to your go to your partner and say we've got such and such a match. How about it? Um, from from the airline's point of view, um, you know, it's it's in their interests to to offer that flight for for nothing or next to nothing, because then they then they can put out on their social media is Manchester City arriving in Milan or Madrid on the on the on the Emirates plane. So um, you know there are significant benefits for having that relationship. 
um, and and uh, monetizing it. It does therefore save the club's costs, and uh, that that is beneficial from a from a profitability and sustainability point of view. When we drop down the tiers, it. Yeah, the clubs are paying for the cost themselves. So if, if you are a non-glamorous club and you, and, you know, let, let's say it, it, you're, you're playing in the Europa Conference League um, and you're from Albania, you're going to have to go and just bear those costs yourself and, and hopefully make enough money from from the competition to to offset those costs and elsewhere, which you know tentatively brings us back to to what we were discussing earlier with regards to the women's game um, and, and for, you know, for the FA to not give a minimum amount of, of financial assistance with regards to travel. It, let's say you, you could easily do it. You could rule if, 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 a, if a club has to travel more than 30 miles, then there is assistance given from the FA itself. Yeah. You know, simple solution. Uh, well, still on the economics of European football, uh, and also this is a question that makes more sense when we've already talked about Barcelona being paid to do well and not do well. Greg Dubrag, I'm sorry, Greg. This, Greg's got one of those names that could be pronounced eight different ways. It's D-U-B-R-O-W, so I'm going for Dubrow. Uh, please let me know if I'm wrong. But Greg says, does it make more sense for a weaker Champions League team to try and qualify for a Champions League knockout round tie they'll most likely lose, or are they better off not qualifying and getting the move into the Europa League with possibly more matches, so more money, and a better chance to get into the last 16 or beyond? Or is the money and the prestige gain from a guaranteed home match with one of the top four, six clubs in Europe a better deal? Um, it's, it's, it's a tricky one because if you get into um, the last 16 of the Champions League, um, you get 9.6 million euros. Which is substantially higher from getting into the, the the first few knockout rounds of the Europa League. Um, if you if you manage to win the Europa League in total, you'll get thirteen point seven million euros. So one of those clubs is potentially going to be better off. Uh, having said that, as, uh, as as Greg quite rightly pointed out, if in the uh, you know, if in the last thirty two and the last sixteen of the Europa League, you're playing clubs who, should we say, don't have very much of an allure. You, you might therefore have to cut your prices for your home matches. You've got your travel costs to be borne, as, as we've just been discussing. And of course, there is a chance that you're going to be knocked out and, you, and you'll probably get around about one, one and a half million euros for those first couple of matches. So um, it, it's a bit like in some of those... Uh, uh, you know, some, some some of those TV game shows. You know, do you take the box now, or do you, do, you know, deal or no deal type of stuff? Yeah. People, it, so it it is a gamble, um, and also on a longer term basis, um, there there are there, there is the uh, the issue of your your tenure coefficient to take into place, which is more skewed towards Champions League performance, and within the Champions League itself, you're on two point eight million euro for a win compared to 500,000 euro in the Europa League. So you're picking up five and a half times as much. So it could be that the money you've actually earned in getting through to the knockout phase of the, the Champions League is, is probably more than enough to, to uh, alleviate uh, not being in the Europa League. That's the prize money side of things. Then you've got to say, well, hold on, what about the size of the club? If it was Manchester United or Spurs or Barcelona or Bayern, um, they they've got big grounds with big capacities, and they can be earning on top of that. 
uh, yeah, three to four million pounds a match uh, from from match day income from ticket sales. So th- there's a there's a lot of cogs in in the overall wheel, but overall, I, I would say you're better off going for that Champions League because uh, you say you get one big draw, you get Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, whoever it's going to be at home, um, and. You, you can then go to your hospitality partners and say, well, yeah, we'd normally charge you, you know, 150 quid a ticket uh, for, a, for a box per person. Yeah, it's Manchester United, it's, it's Barcelona, we've, yeah. we've, we've not played them. It's, it's going yeah, it's, it's to be a grand a ticket and people will pay up. I apologise, Kieran. I was slightly distracted during that uh, very good answer because uh, an ad popped up on my laptop for an invoicing payment and payroll app for the self-employed, uh, one of whom, according to the example on this ad, uh, made £16,000 profit in the past 30 days. That's generally annoyed me. <laughs> Let's produce a guy. <laughs> producer guy's not doing his banking on an app. <laughs> no. <laughs> not, unless, not unless Coots have started doing that. I can't imagine that Coots have started doing apps today. It's very unlikely. Well, last time I checked, I think producer guy was still banking at Gringotts. Um <laughs> Our last question comes from Paul Rhodes. Uh, and Paul says, whilst unlikely to happen, what would be the legal issues around a player announcing his retirement whilst under contract, taking six months off and then coming out of retirement to sign for another club? Now, because of my cavalier approach to research, I can't remember the player I'm thinking of, but it, it certainly happened before when a player has retired through injury and then found himself fit six months later. And there was huge problems with the insurance company, because he'd been paid off, but he came back to play football. So it's not, it, it, it is unlikely to happen to Kieran, but it's not impossible that it could happen. Yes, um, a, a lot would depend upon the remaining length of the contract uh, when the player did retire. Uh, if, if, his, if, if, the, if his original club kept the registration of the player, then he would not be able to to resurrect the career six months later um, unless they agreed to some form of write-off. Again, if there's an insurance payoff, and, and again, I, I, yeah, I'm with you entirely. I do remember this this cropping up in, in respect to one player who, who came out of retirement and the insurance company said, hold on, we, we've given you a payout yes. under under the scheme. So yeah. um, th- there are a lot of complications. Um, the... The club for whom the player is presently playing before he announces his retirement um, is protected. So it's to stop a player saying, I've, I've had enough, I want to retire early, um, because he knows on, on the QT that uh, somebody's going to offer him more money in six months' time to, to come out. So um, there there is protection there for both the insurance companies and the, the original club. Um, if he's not had a payout and if the original club says, well, actually, he was a pain in the arse and we're just glad to get him off the payroll, <laughs> then, then, then sometimes that can work for everybody's favour. Well, on that note, thank you, as ever, to all of you who have made a contribution to the pod via our Patreon site. If you'd like to join them, then thank you very much. You can make a small monthly contribution to our always free-to-air pod at patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Please try and include your name because it unsettles us otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Um, well, thanks again, folks, for the feedback. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the support for the show. It, 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 it's great, and uh, 
And also uh, a big thank you on a personal level to uh, some of our listeners who've been in contact with me, who have shown me a, a far cheaper way of, of transferring money to my mum in Ireland. Um, so um, and this, 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 this doesn't involve this doesn't involve courier based work, um, as, as, as Uncle Terry would have said. Um, yeah, somebody said to me, surely the cheapest way is to go to Ireland with a wedge of cash, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, I've not been able to go to Ireland. For, no, that's uh, true. For, yeah, for a fair while, so I'm, true, I'm, hope, yeah. I'm hoping to hoping to arrange that fairly shortly. Um, so, um, if if you want to support us through Patreon, thank you very much. You can do that for as little as as one pound a month. Um, but if you just want to give us some some good karma, and and myself and Kevin, we we don't understand how this works. Okay, but apparently, according to producer guy, the algorithms are that uh, if you if you leave a review on on the Apple uh, app or the Spotify app or whatever app you use for your podcasts, um, it, it helps us in the charts. It helps us to uh, negotiate. Uh, uh, guests because they, they look at the charts and say, oh, these guys aren't complete non-entities um you know they're, they're doing they're doing okay uh, it, and it, you know if you give us five stars that 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 really helps um it, apparently it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what you say you, you could say you would rather have the show hosted by chuck norris and jerry halliwell and it <laughs> wouldn't make a blind bit of difference by all accounts <laughs> I, think, I think that'd be quite a surreal show as well uh well, you can guess which one of those I've worked with. Uh, yes. <laughs> we'll have that discussion off air. Uh, and when you do go to Ireland, Kieran, for the love of God, don't tell them that you're using Guinness to put in soup. <laughs> Absolutely. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>